Well, last week uh, Luke kicked us off in this uh, fantastic book of 1 Peter. Um, We can't help but be encouraged by it, can we? Right there in the opening part of uh, the first chapter of Peter, we we read of God's mercy for us. We, uh, We know that there's hope. We've been born into a living hope. And that hope goes on forever. It's a hope that will never fade, spoil or perish. And so we are filled with this inexpressible joy. What a wonderful thing it is to know that our salvation is safe in the hands of Jesus. And so we can just go on living life. Well, not exactly. It's not just a matter of basking in that. So Peter comes today and he, st- and he says these things. Yes, you do have mercy. You receive mercy because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. You can have hope because Jesus rose victorious. And you do have an inheritance and the Holy Spirit that has been given to you is the guarantee of the future. That God is with you now and for eternity. But, Peter says when we get here, there's a whole lot of living to do between now and then. You're my holy people, says the Lord. Not that you will become. I have set you apart. Holy simply means set apart. So what we find today is that we are God's people. If we have come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we are God's people who have been set apart and called to live lives that are distinctive. See, what Peter was writing about was saying, look, you're mirroring what happened in the Old Testament. When the children of Israel left Egypt, they left their bondage in Egypt and they came out through the wilderness and they've taken possession of the promised land. The same is now true for you who have put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. You have put the old behind you and you're on a journey. As Luke said before, we are people of faith. We're on this journey of faith. We've been born of the Spirit. Remember last week, Luke reminded us that what was born of the flesh was flesh. What was born of the Spirit is spirit. We are people who have been born of the Spirit, born to a living hope. And therefore, we have a new identity. And I want us to quickly have a look at these aspects of our new identity as God's holy people. Firstly, that we're foreigners in this world. Aliens and strangers, if you like, in this world. So Peter says in 1.17, he says, what I want you to do is live your time here as foreigners in reverent fear. What he's saying is, you don't belong to this world anymore. You'll march to a different drum. Sure, you're living in the world, but you're not defined by this world. You're not defined by the priorities of this world. I've got a different call on your life. And I'm asking you, well, actually, I'm saying that you are now set apart for that task. So don't be conformed to this world. And then he says, what you need to do is to remember that you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus and only the precious blood of Jesus. The people that came out of Egypt, the people that lived in the time that the the New Testament was written knew what redemption was. Certainly if they were a slave, they knew that a price had been paid for them in silver and gold to redeem them back. And what Peter's saying, no such thing for you. You weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So grab hold of how much you mean to Christ. Take hold of that. Grab hold of how wide and long and high and deep the love of Jesus is because when you do, you will know that you're on a different journey. 
You will know that you are people who have been born of the Spirit. And then he says a third thing about our identity. He says you're now part of a community of deep love and growth. So love one another deeply from the heart. Rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. God has started his work in us. We are people, if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are people who have been saved. And that refers to what happened when we crossed the line of faith. We have been saved. But that word of salvation in the Greek is a present continuous tense. We have been saved. We are being saved as God continues his work in our life. And we are going to go on being saved until Jesus comes again. That's why Paul could write. And he said, he has begun a good work in you, is going to go on to complete it until Jesus comes again. So we can get excited about those three aspects of our identity. The fact that we are called to live a life that's distinctive. We are strangers or aliens in this world. The fact that we have been redeemed by Jesus himself. And the fact that we are born into a community, a community of faith. So where do we go with this now? Because we know that as we do that, it's not as easy as saying, well, that's who we are. Because each and every day you and I know that we have battles to live out our new identity. I know I do. I know I have a battle to live as a stranger and an alien in this land. That's who I am. And I want to come back to look at where those two battles take place. And they were the first two or three verses that Adam read for us earlier. The first battle we've got is with our mind. And that's why Peter wrote, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. The scripture has so much to say to us about the battle of the mind. We have ongoing battles in our mind. We can go back to Romans 12 too, that talks about not being conformed to this world but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that transformation takes place when we come into relationship with Jesus but we know that battle of the mind is ongoing. That's why Paul writing in 2 Corinthians says, we, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So this battle in the mind is something that we've got to battle in our thoughts each and every day. We've got to take every thought captive. We live in this world as new, as, with a new identity, as people that God has called for a different journey and the battle starts in our mind. We've got to take every thought captive and then we need to make sure we're thinking about the right things. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. What we think about is so important in defining or living out who we are because the things that we think about change us. They change our heart and our mind and everything we do from our, in life flows from our heart and our mind, what drives us out of that. 
And we know that our mind ends up determining what we do, ends up determining our actions. As Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Friends, the biggest battle we've got living out our new identity is a battle of the mind. Is it any, is it any um, coincidence that Satan keeps on bringing about issues of defeat, issues of pride, issues of inadequacy, issues of fear? The list goes on. We get bombarded with those things day after day. It's Satan's battleground in us. There are issues of our carnal nature that well up with us. Oh, I love to do this. I love to live a life like that. And then there's a battle as Satan attacks us as well. And so what we find is that those battles that come of the mind actually attack each of those aspects of our identity. So far from living as a stranger in this land, we are often preoccupied with the things of the world. Luke shared last week that we live in an age of distraction. We know that. We know we're easily distracted. Do I have enough money to retire? Good questions. What's our next investment? What's my next trip going to be? Where are we travelling to next? There are a lot of these distractions in life. And the images on social media, they paint the picture of a world that lives and is defined by the food that might be in front of them, the trip they're on, the next acquisition they've got, the next purchase they've made. And we know that's not really the world because we know those people are still battling with each and everyday things. But we don't see those things on Instagram. And so we get this picture in our brain that this is what life's meant to look like. So how about me? Where am I going for my next trip? When's my next exotic holiday? So we get, we get bombarded with a picture and the temptation is for us to get sucked in and to live a life like that. So far from being aliens in this world, we end up being or adapting to the world's demands on us. Now, I'm not a killjoy. I love a good time. I love a good holiday. And believe it or not, I believe that's what God wants for us. When God finished creation, he looked at this world and he said, all of this is very good. All of this is very good. God created creation for us to enjoy. But we've got to remember that as we do it, we're just passing through here. This is not our home. And our focus needs always to be heavenward. Now, you and I know that. I don't want to load any of us up with guilt. Don't even load myself up with guilt. So how do we overcome this stuff? Well, I think... It comes back to the basics of our relationship with Jesus. How much time do we spend in prayer? How much time do we spend reading the word of God? How much time do we spend encouraging one another? How much time do we spend talking to each other about how we use our resources? How about being engaged in mission together? All these aspects help to bring our focus back to the fact that we are just strangers and aliens in this land. We're on a journey that God has for us to be salt and light, not to be people who adapt. And I know what I'm talking about here, if you like, are the old disciplines of faith, Bible study, prayer, meeting together, encouragement. But friends, I don't know any other way. 
I don't know a better way to be encouraged in my faith to follow what is important and to live my life in that context. I think the next battle of the mind has us, far from enjoying the gift of eternal life through Jesus, we can lack the assurance of salvation and we can lack freedom and joy. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I've said that already. And how amazing is that, that God should humble himself, that Jesus should break into our world, even while we're yet sinners. As Paul wrote in Romans, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't merit this salvation. God's love is extravagant. His grace is limitless. So why is it that we can lack the assurance? Why is it we can lack joy and we can lack freedom? And I know that as I've spoken to people, that's a deep-seated angst in life. I don't feel the deep-seated joy that I should have. Why is that? Well, again, I think as, uh, as we, as Satan, um, takes on battles in our mind and as we in our own carnal nature do that, we are inclined to think that we can live a life of perfection. A life where we never sin, where we never fail. You know, I've put my trust in Jesus and everything should be all right. And so when we do make mistakes in life, when we do blow up at the kids, or we do get into relationships where we don't act the way we should, we can come down so hard on ourselves. And we can say, you know what? It's just not worth it. This faith is not all it's cracked up to be. I'm never going to make it. And yet the reality of what Jesus is saying for us is no. You are a holy people. You have been set apart for me. You are my precious child of God. You are redeemed with my blood. Sure, you made a mistake, but there is hope. There is a future. That's why I love the encounter of, of Isaiah now, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the Lord high and exalted and the train of his robe, of, of the Lord's robe, filled the temple. And above the Lord were seraphs, or seraphim, and each of them had six wings and with two they covered their faces and two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah cried out, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He expected to die. He'd seen God. He'd seen God in all his holiness and because of that, he was overcome by his sin, his shame, his unworthiness. And yet an amazing thing happened. And you know the story well. One of the seraphim flew to him with a live coal that he had taken with um, tongs from the fire and with it he touched his lips and he said, see this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin has been atoned for. And when I have times in my life when I come and I think, Lord, I've stuffed up here. I'm so unworthy. I can't experience your love. I can't experience your grace. I take myself back there to Isaiah's experience. And I put myself in Isaiah's shoes and I say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I am part of your holy people that are on a journey. 
And I thank you that you've done in my life what I saw you do or Isaiah experienced. That you have touched my life and my guilt has been taken away and my sin has been atoned for. Thank you. I'm not going to be pulled down by that battle of the mind that says I'm unworthy. I know I'm unworthy. That's why Jesus came. Another thing that can come at us really enjoying what Jesus has done for us is our own tiredness. We run life at a frantic pace, friends, totally frantic pace. And what happens is we get drained and we fail to experience the goodness of God. We fail to experience the love of God. I was like that last week. I was sitting up there in Feast and it had been a big week in a variety of things. And I was sitting there and feeling very tired. I'm just sitting there and thinking, I'll be looking forward. This is in Feast, mind you, a very holy thing to do. I'll be very happy to get home and put my feet up. Now, I hope none of you are feeling like that right here now. I'll be happy to get home. And Paul Sheaves came out to take communion. And Paul said something like, as we gather around this communion table, remember that Jesus was willing to have his body broken for each of us, for us. Are you willing to have your body broken for him? And I just meditated on those words for a minute. And as I started to meditate on those words, I saw that my, my feelings were all so self-focused. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. I was lifted from that to see again, to see again the joy that can come as I know what Jesus Christ has done for me. So, friends, in the midst of our tiredness, can I just ask that you try and slow down? It's almost an impossible task, I know. Slow down. Take time to come back and to meditate on what Jesus has done for you. And then the third, I think the third battle of the mind that, um, that, that distracts us from our identity is from seeing the church as a place of deep community and love and growth. And we can lose heart in that possibility or that potential or that truth. I mean, perhaps you're here and you're here today and you've been hurt by a church experience in the past, here or somewhere else. Perhaps you're even here today and you're feeling that in some ways you don't, you don't really fit in. You don't feel part of, of what's happening. You feel a little bit alienated in some way. Well, perhaps like me, you watch the uh, national apology there for the survivors of child sexual abuse during the week. And then as the statistics of the Royal Commission come out, you recognise that 58% of the cases of child sexual abuse were perpetrated in our own churches. Places that should have been places of safety and warmth and acceptance. And I sat there thinking, God, is there any hope for who we are? You know, The very people we want to encourage and grow and bless have been violated. And yet you say your church is a place of love and growth. And so I was battling this week with that. And yet that's the truth of who we are. We're called again to come out to recognise that we have been called as people who are to make a difference, a positive difference in this world. 
And so this week I've, I've recommitted my, myself to say, Lord, I trust in your plan for your people to be a place where others grow in the faith, where they're truly loved. And I invite you, I don't know what you're experiencing about life in, in church or how you're feeling about that. Perhaps you've lost trust in it to again take that simple step of walking forward and being vulnerable. That's the first battle. The second battle is a battle of the will. This is going to be a lot quicker because I think this is our battle of obedience. One thing are the thoughts that come into our mind and detract us from getting on this journey and, and truly living out the truth of us as being God's holy people. And the second one is the battle of the will. So verse 14 said, As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. There are a lot of things that come up in our, in our life that require us to act a certain way, particularly when we feel God speaking to us. Um, <clears throat> I can remember at the grand old age of 34... Um, we had our accounting practice and many will have heard this story before but it defines a time when I recognised that I had to nail my colours to the mast in terms of my will. We had our accounting practice and it was going well. We employed six staff and we'd done well financially. We paid off our home and we had investments and all those things but I had this nagging feeling that there was more in life, more in life. I started to have a recurring dream Cast your bread upon the waters and after a time it will return to you. I didn't know what that meant. Never read those words that I could remember before. But anyway, they come from Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1. Cast your bread upon the water and after a time it will return to you. So I looked in the, in the little um, explanation at the bottom of the New International Version and it said, be adventurous. Commit your trade, commit your life to the Lord as a sea merchant commits his trade to the water. Don't always play it safe. So I thought, okay, well, Lord, this keeps coming, so it must be from you. So I rang an accountancy uh, broker and I said, look, what's it like to sell an accountancy practice these days? He said, well, yeah, it's going to probably take about 12 months, the bloke that's going to come. Um, we'll probably want you to stay with him for about another 12 months or so to pass it on. Um, he said they're not getting a very good price at the moment. But he said, I can refer you to someone who probably deals with people in your area. So I got to talk to this lady and she, um, and she asked for some more details. And then uh, she said, can you send through information? So I sent her as much information as I could. Um, sent it down a thing called a fax at that time and I'm sure at the other end of the line she pulled out a whole big long ream of paper and uh, wondered what was going on. But anyway, she got all that information. She rang back the next day, 24 hours later, and she said, I've sold your accounting practice. I said, no, <laughs> nice try. No one's been to see it. She said, no, I'm pretty serious that tonight a man wants to come out and if all the figures stack up and everything's okay, he said he wants it. So he came out, looked at everything. He said, look, can I bring my wife out on the weekend? Um, because we had operated the practice from the house. Half the, pra the, the um, home was for the practice and the other half we lived in and they would want to rent the house. So sure, she came out on the weekend. And Lynn and I are just out the back of the house. And then he walked through and he said, look, 
it makes any difference to you, my wife and I believe what you believe. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I've seen the books on your bookshelf in your lounge room. And that's where all our Bible study books were, all our, all our other things and aspects. I was saying, you're a Christian? He said, yeah. I'm thinking, Lord, this bloke's coming out of the blue. He wants to buy this. And then um, he said, and I know you've asked a lot more than probably they're going for at the moment. I'm not going to quibble about the price. When would you like to settle? And I'm thinking, no, this is a bad joke. <laughs> I was only ringing up to see what was going to go on here. And then what I realised was I was in a battle of the will. Because this wasn't a coincidence. This was a God incident. And so I was actually then grappling with, okay, Lord, am I going to be an obedient child? Am I going to do what you're calling me to do? So then the contract came out. And as we sat down on the contract, I started to put my accountant hat on. I said to Lynn, do you realise what we're signing away if we do this? I'm only 34, two kids, another one on the way. We don't even know what we're going to do. Sure, we've got a sugar cane farm in Queensland. We don't know what we're going to do. And Lynn just looked at me and said, God's in this. What do you mean, what are we going to do? We're going to sign it? I said, she wasn't much help. <laughs> and then as I battled with that, because as I said, this was, this was God's work in my life. Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting, Brian? Are you trusting yourself? Going to build your own kingdom? Going to be secure in what you can do? You're going to trust me. So he came down and our Bible study, our Bible reading that night was from 1 John 2, 3. And it says this, We know that we know him, Jesus, if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but doesn't do the things he says, is a liar and the truth is not in him. And it really wasn't a Bible reading of my choosing. And so there's no thing. We signed that line and we signed that contract. And I don't regret one bit of that. Sure, I don't have what we have then, but I don't regret any of that. The experiences of life um, have been wonderful. And here I was thinking that I needed to use my gift of giving somehow to support God's work. You know, gee, Lord, we, we give fairly generously. We won't be able to do that. This is all my rational thinking, the work of Satan in my mind. If I sell this, Lord, we won't be able to give the way. Yeah, sure, Brian. God said to me something, and it was Keith Green. I was speaking to Craig about this this week. Keith Green was one of um, favourite artists at that time. To obey is better than sacrifice. And, and one of the lines is, I don't want your money, I want your whole life. That's what God was saying to me. I'm not interested in your money. I'm not interested in your time. I want your whole life because when I get your whole life, I'll get your money, I'll get your time, I'll get you. And as I said, we've got no regrets in that. But that song, To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice, comes from the story of Saul's rejection of king. God gave Saul instructions to go and to completely destroy the Amalekites and everything there. But instead, Saul and the army spared the king and they gave the and, the and the best of the herds, and they gave the soldiers and the soldiers. They offered a sacrifice to God, and they kept back the best of the panda. And so, what does Samuel say? Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much and as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So I realised then, right back then, that it's one thing to overcome the battle of the mind, but unless we're going to be people of obedience, we're not fulfilling the call that God has on our lives. Friend, this is not a direction. That experience today is not to load people up with guilt to go and sell what you've got or do anything like that. Because I don't know the way God's directing you. All I do know is don't resist the voice of the Lord when he comes because the plan that he has for you is vastly better than the one you could ever build yourself. So this is who we are as a covenant people, as a holy people. People who overcome the battle of the mind, people who overcome the battle of the will and we walk forward as strangers in this land, as people who continually come back to know what, what they're, we're saved by the blood of Jesus and who walk together in community together. Let me pray. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the truth of your word, that you have set us apart. You've set us apart to be a holy people, to be people of salt, to be people of light, to be people who impact this world. Father, you've set us apart to be people who journey together in a, in a community of love and trust, a community of faith. And Father, we know that as we journey, we're going to face those battles, battles of our mind, um, battles of our obedience. And Father, in that, we pray that you would give each one of us the courage to step out, the courage to trust you, and the courage to do that with joy because we know that's what you promise and that's what you have given. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.